You're listening to the Write Project Podcast and Radio Program. This is a show about writing and modern Newfoundland author culture. This show is produced and recorded at CHMR 93.5 FM in Newfoundland and can be heard on that station and online at chmr.ca. I am your host, Matthew LeDrew, founder of Engine Books and author of the Xander Drew series, a supernatural detective thriller from Engine Books. If you'd like to subscribe to get bonus content, including an extra episode every month, you can do that in the description below. Thank you for joining us. Let's see what we have today. Hello, listeners. With the recent release of John Dobbins' Weird West novel, The Starving, we thought it'd be appropriate to have the author on himself and read a short story from within the Starving universe. This story was originally presented in Chillers from the Rock. We have with us John Dobbin, a native of the St. John's metro region. Dobbin tied for first place in the 2017 48-hour writing marathon. He is described as a father of three, a husband, an educator, and a tattoo and beard enthusiast. Dobbin made his publishing debut in Chillers from the Rock with two entries, Man of Fire and The Chosen, alongside authors such as Paul Carberry and Ali House. Dobbin's first novel, A Weird West Tale Named The Starving, is available now. Without further ado, we have Dobbin reading his story, The Chosen. The Chosen by John Dobbin. One. I say, the lanky Englishman broke the silence around the fire. It's quite chilly here at night. He huddled closer to the crackling flame, rubbing his hands together. Not as damp as home, though, I dare say. A crooked, mirthless grin spread across his face. Bill Weston plucked his wide-brimmed hat from a sun-creased face. He reclined back and regarded the man with grimace. It gets colder. Snow hasn't fallen yet, he said, rubbing the coarse stubble of his chin with a calloused hand. Yep, Clancy Fifield nodded from a log he used as a makeshift seat. As he turned his coat collar up against the chill, its worn edge brushed with the back of his bowler. Weston pushed himself up to his elbows, feeling the coolness of the grass that he was using as a bed as he did. They were hired, Clancy and himself, to escort the stately Mr. Nigel Dollarhide, through the wilds of Colorado. Dollarhide proclaimed himself an academic and a gentleman of delicate nature. As such, he required Clancy to do the heavy lifting when the pack mule was at rest. Weston was their guide, having cut his teeth on the Colorado wilderness as a boy and formerly held a job as a scout for the National Railroad Company. Weston sighed as he sat upright and crossed his arms over his bent knees. Range a lot where you're from, Nigel. The Englishman brightened, but only nodded and said, Rain? Yes, and fog. Fog so thick you could cut it with a knife. Dollarhide's face sagged, and he retreated back into himself and made a hesitant glance at his belongings, his assorted bags, and, of course, the large box. Don't know much about your wares, Nigel. What have you got in that box that's been breaking Clancy's back so? Weston said it with a smile, and a chuckle lifted from Clancy's barrel chest. Dollarhide darkened and withdrew more into himself. It's nothing, really. A statue. A small thing for a colleague in Denver. He leaned back out of the firelight, his face darkening as it fell into shadows. Weston whistled through his teeth, his steady brown eyes burning a hole in the blackness where Dollarhide's face used to be. Doesn't seem much like nothing, or a small thing. What do you say, Clancy? The big man grunted and lowered his girth to the ground. Silence followed. Weston peered after Dollarhide and his mysterious statue encased in a box resplendent in the moonlight. 2. It was the soft click of gravel under a boot that roused Weston, but it was the cold touch of a gun barrel on his neck that brought him to his senses. Darkness and shadows had crept over the small camp as the fire waned. Daylight was still far off, and the night was still and without sound. 
Easy there, a hoarse whisperer breathed into his ear. Easy now, or you'll end up like your big friend. A black, leather-clad hand pointed past his eyes. Weston followed the direction, his jaw clenched. In the dim light of the dying fire, Weston saw a sour-faced man unfold himself from the ground, wiping a large knife on his dark jeans as the red-hot ash of a cigar glowing from his mouth. At the man's feet, Clancy sprawled, a sanguine river flowing from his throat. Weston began to rise, but the steel grip of his assailant forced him to remain on his knees. He craned his neck to try for a glimpse of Dollarhide, and in the low light, he could see the Englishman cower next to his blinds, glasses askew as he hugged the large box, his face pressed against it. Two men laughed as they closed around him. The man at his back yanked him to his feet and guided Weston away from his bag and gun towards the remains of the fire. As he sat, two men dragged a blubbering Dollarhide to the campground and deposited him across from Weston. The Englishman's long, sallow face was streaked with blood, dust, and tears. The same two men then left to fetch Dollarhide's belongings, while the man who killed Clancy and Weston's captor stayed behind to watch their hostages. They kept their pistols in hand and a watchful eye on their captives. They spoke very little. The man who had slain Clancy maintained a humorless grin behind his dwindling cigar. Can't be much work for your sword on this path, Weston ventured. Not many know of it. Not sure of that myself, mister. This is our first trip over here. The man who had captured him replied, crossing his hands in front of him, gun barrel pointed to the ground with the hammer cocked. Luck then. Weston chuckled and Dollarhide's face drained of color. Well, friends, there is precious little with us that will fill your pockets and plenty that will strain your backs. He chuckled again, picking at the dirt under his fingernails. That effect, a smile stretched across the man's face that wet turned Weston's stomach. Well, apologies all around. This is quite embarrassing. I'll just gather my friends, and we will leave your company with haste. Clancy's killer bent to stoke the fire, and the growing flame lit a toothy smile that Dollarhide cringed away from. You see, the man continued, we were under the impression that this Brit here was escorting some pretty treasure from Denver. We've been following you since you picked him up in Texas. Clancy's killer uttered a dry and low chuckle, void of levity. 3. Gosh darn it. A deep voice croaked, followed by the crash of Dollarhide's crate on the ground before the fire. The Brit nearly fainted at the sound and had to catch himself before he lunged forward to check the integrity of the box. Carlos, you dirty bean-eater. You dropped your end. F you, Vato, the second man said in a quiet, accented voice. The two men stood across from each other, their long coats thrown back and their hands on their pistols. The bandit clo closest to Weston, Charlie Vato, had seen more seasons than his companions. His skin was pocked and scarred, and his pate stood sparse of hair, which remained was graying. His watery green eyes looked on the much younger man who opposed him. Carlos, with his hazel eyes and chestnut skin, sneered at the older man through a mouth that was heavily scarred, as if it was torn asunder at birth. A tense silence followed. Weston watched with interest while Dollarhide cowered closer to him. Quiet now, save for a constant sniffle. He shook all over. Idiots, the leader said, breaking the silence. Keep your hands off your iron unless you want Lazarus to put a bullet in each of you. Both men kissed... Both men cast a glance at Clancy's murderer, who barked a mechanical laugh. The rivals turned from each other, abashed like children scolded by their father. Virgil crouched before the crate and prodded at it where it had struck the ground. He pulled away pieces of wood with his gloved hand and crumbled them between his thumb and forefinger, a frown on his face. We'll have to check it. He rubbed his hands together and brushed the remaining wood and splinters away. Dollarhide exploded from the ground and landed upon the bandit leader. His slender, pale fists wrapped around the collar of Virgil's coat. Don't open it, Dollarhide practically salivated over the prone Virgil's face. 
If your life means anything to you, don't touch it. His voice had reached a high-pitched squeal that shook Weston's nerves and delivered him from momentary shock. Lazarus's senses reawakened as well, and he had jumped forward with his companions to wrestle the half-mad Englishman from their struggling leader. The scramble was over almost as quick as it started. The bandits ban- began pummeling the delirious Englishman to loosen his grip. Charlie, in particular, seemed to relish in the beating. When he had satisfied himself, he and Carlos dragged Dollarhide back to Weston. Virgil rose, dusted himself off. His eyes burned as they locked in the Englishman. He called over his shoulder. Get the pry bar. Carlos ran off. Virgil crept forward, coat thrown back, and hand on his revolver. Do that again and see how fast you enter hell. Dollarhide groaned, his wide eyes shut in pain. Virgil gave Weston a warning glance and walked away as Carlos ran out of the trees. He pointed tersely at the crate and met Charlie and Carlos there. Charlie's hand glided over his balding head and he began directing the young Mexican. Lazarus stood close to Weston and Nigel, waving his hands absently over the fire. The box creaked as Carlos and Charlie worked the pry bar to slide the long nails from the wood. They dislodged the cover and pushed it to the ground with a humble crash. Both men stood back from the box and made way for Virgil. The bandit leader tilted his head to the side, studying the contents before he bent at the waist and began to brush hay out of the box where it was picked up and carried away on the building wind. Virgil uttered a surprised grunt that made Charlie and Carlos sneak closer for a better look. Their faces betrayed their puzzlement. Lazarus was not immune to the curiosity from his place by the fire and craned his neck for a better look. Weston was feeling quite interested himself, and it took a concentrated effort to contain his impulse to jump up for a quick look. Nevertheless, his eyes did not move from the box. Nigel groaned by his side. Well, Carlos moved closer, squinting as if the contents of the crate were hard to see. Doesn't look damaged from here, answered Virgil, his voice distant and uncertain. I guess we better remove it, to be sure. He sighed as he reached into the box. A look of pain came over his dark face, and he hesitated as his hand passed over the threshold of the container. Also, quick note, Wright Project fans, while I have you, my latest book, As Loved Our Fathers, is on store shelves now. If you're listening to this online, you can see a link to it down in the description. I would really appreciate it if you can check it out. It's a hunt for the Holy Grail set in Newfoundland and really examines Newfoundland history. It's my most personal novel to date and brings in a lot of my thoughts on Newfoundland and Newfoundland culture that we've touched on on this show, but I've never really gotten into in my writing. So I'm really interested to see what people think of it. Please give it a check out if you have the ability. It took an effort, but he finally forced his shaking hand further into the box. Dollarhide sat up straight, moving so suddenly as to break Weston's gaze from the scene that was playing out before him. The beaten Englishman's face was serene despite being caked with blood and tears. His eyes watered and tears rolled down his cheeks. I don't know if you gentlemen pray, Dollarhide said. His voice barely rose beyond that of a whisper between lovers. But if you do, now would be a good time. His words rang out. On the wind, the horses had gone completely silent. No insects hummed, no animals scraped or snuffed, and no birds squawked. Weston felt a thick apprehension crush upon him. He no longer wanted to know what was in the Englishman's cursed box. He wanted to leave this place and never return. Virgil drew forth the black effigy and took it into both clubbed hands, turning it over and over, upending it, his face that of disgust. The creature portrayed in the stone was bulbous and without basis in Weston's mind. As Virgil moved it about, the idol seemed to take a different shape, alter itself before his eyes. One moment it had three overlapping mouths, each filled with razor-sharp yellow teeth glistening against a scaled reptilian skin. The next moment it was dog-like, with a rat face, 
wearing a helmet, crouched in clenching man-like fists. Weston tore his eyes away from the statue. He turned to Dollarhide, who sat wad-eyed and slack-eyed, eyes clasped on the scene before him, froth gathering at the corners of his mouth. Charlie and Carlos closed in on their boss, as did Lazarus, seeming to have forgotten their captives. Weston caught a glance of Lazarus before he moved off. His face was that of a man in trance. He licked his lips under his heavy brown beard, and he began to remove his heavy leather gloves. What an ugly piece. Virgil managed it, attempting a laugh. Put it back in the box, Charlie coughed, his hand furiously rubbing his sparsely haired scalp. I can't bear to look on it, but he made no move to look away. Is it okay, Carlos chimed, leaning closer. Seems so, Virgil said, turning it over again. Weird is what it is. It's solid and it's heavy, but it looks liquid. And in a whisper, it keeps changing. At that, Weston turned his eyes to the bandits, careful to keep his gaze away from the idol. Has it here, Virgil? Lazarus said. His voice was rough, like rocks grating rocks. He was back onto Weston, his shoulders tense and his back straight. He stretched one open hand in front of him. Virgil grasped the prize tighter to his chest, the dark leather of his gloves creaking with the pressure. I just want to look at it, Lazarus breathed out. Effort and pain mix in equal measure. Virgil backed away from his compatriot, stood statue still, gripped tightly into him, anger and confusion spreading across his face. As he moved, Lazarus's knife appeared in his hand, as if he had conjured it. Clancy's blood still staining it. Reading Lazarus's intention, Virgil whipped back his long jacket and made for his revolver. Lazarus sprung into action with the quickness and savagery of a feral beast. He lunged forward, gripping Virgil's gun hand before he could level it on him, and, with one murderous strike, plunged his blade deep into Virgil's belly. Virgil dropped his gun and groaned as, if, as he fell back, holding his stomach. Carlos followed him to the ground, his hand putting pressure on the wound along with Virgil's. Lazarus turned away from them and began to walk towards the fire. His face was grim. Darkness came over it in the flickering shadows of the fire. He held the statue, slender fingers curled like claws around the smooth, ebony surface. Wesson was not a man who scared easy. Yet at the approach of Lazarus and the statue, the hair on the back of his neck stood on end. It was past time to leave. Weston hopped to his feet and grabbed the bleary-eyed dollar-eyed under the arm, yanking him to his side and making a run for his bag. It took more, no more than an instant to reach his belongings, and less than that to grab his revolver. Then the screaming began. To his side, dollar began to moan and wheeze. A wet gurgle oozed forth from his jaws. Trying his best to ignore him, Weston holstered his gun and began to move again, grabbing the Englishman's arm as he did. A high-pitched inhuman wail came from behind him. Weston whirled with fright and instinct and drew his gun again. The world behind him had gone insane. Weston's mind reeled at what he saw, and the vulgar urge to survive nodded his guts. Lazarus writhed before the fire. His features distorted and unnatural. Screams of pain emanated from his ever-widening jaw. Black tendrils had begun to sprout from his back, and sides slick with a molten ebony that dripped and ran like hot tire hitting the ground with a belching sizzles. The statue enveloped Lazarus's hand, smaller tendrils of ebony burrowing under his skin and melded itself with it. More screams flowed from Lazarus, and Weston's whole body began to ache with their reverberations. Gunfire drew his attention away from the transforming bandit. Weston caught sight of Charlie, and one hand still grazing the sparse hair on his balding head, firing two more shots into what had once been Lazarus. Charlie wore a mask of horror, and tears rolled down his wrinkled and worn face. His shots slammed into Lazarus's convulsing back, and the black tar splattered to the ground with a horrendous squelch. Lazarus was pushed a step or two towards the fire, but the shots had little effect otherwise. Lazarus's eyes glazed over as the black ooze crawled over his face, covering his large beard so completely it looked as if it were dissolved. Those same eyes narrowed, and a familiar smile grew across Lazarus's lips. The monster before Weston turned toward Charlie, a slow, plodding movement 
that started with a turn of the head and followed through with the rest of the body. The new black tendrils moved in unison with Lazarus's human legs. When it faced Charlie, it unhinged its jaw and screamed its blood-curdling cry once more. Charlie let his gun drop and put both hands on his head, tearing up what little hair he was left. He mouthed, no, 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 but no sound escaped his throat. Lazarus jittered towards Charlie in a slow, uncertain walk. As he moved off, Weston caught sight of Carlos and Virgil. The latter still grasped at his wounded stomach, blood now trickling from the corner of his mouth. Carlos remained kneeling over him, face pale and uncertain, and pistol now in hand. Weston potted Dollarhide beside him, his eyes unable to move from the scene that was unfolding in front of him. Charlie ripped at himself. Slow, distracted scratches began to appear on his head and face. His mouth trembled and his watery eyes spilled over his cheeks, flowing through creases made by the pained expression of fear and despair. Still, he did not move. The creature moved toward him in its strange gait, tittering in an insect-like clicking. Weston's hand landed on Dollarhide's arm, and with a force of will he tore his eyes from the horror before him, drew the scholar close, and ran into the surrounding forest of spruce trees. 4. Why didn't he run? Weston growled as he pushed his way past trees and navigated over rocks. Dollarhide stumbled along behind him, groaning when he could catch his breath. He could have run. He could have blasted away. could have killed the sucker. He panted as he plowed through some low-hanging branches that whipped at his face. Weston knew the answer, of course. Charlie was in shock. He'd seen it in the war, seen men go catatonic as they stared down cannon fire or the barrel of a gun. Though Charlie looked like a man who had seen his fair share of action in his lifetime, Weston was willing to bet that he had never faced a black, oozing creature that was once a traveling companion. Lazarus and his new spider-like appendages had blown through any and all of Charlie's mental defenses, tore them down, and set them aflame. A scream rolled over the silence of the night, a clap of thunder made of human pain. The scream was loud and long, its ending so sudden that it made Weston's skin crawl. A laugh echoed in it. He paused, halting Dollarhide, and cocked his head to the side and waited, trying to hear a sound or sign in the expending silence. The entire forest seemed as though it were holding its breath in anticipation of the unfolding night. He took some hesitant steps, careful not to disturb a fallen branch or twig. His coarse hand gripped the moss-laden trunk of a large spruce tree for balance. It was getting easier to see. The sky was brightening and the sun seemed to be on the rise. But Weston still had no idea where he was or how to escape. He hadn't thought to take note of any reference point or starting point when they ran out of the camp. Weston caught a glimpse of a path in the distance. It was little more than a groove in the otherwise thick with growth forest floor. Weston and Dollarhide crossed on it and were forced to traverse its single file as if an adult leading a child. The former scholars stumbled along, and Weston had to slow and guide him around large rocks or tree roots when they came upon them. Not for the first time did Weston toy with the idea of leaving Dollarhide. The poor man probably wouldn't even notice, his mind as numbed as it was. It wasn't a far-fetched idea to believe that Dollarhide would never recover from the mental break, and what kind of life could a student and professor or any man live as a prisoner in his own skull? Still, the man had endeavored to trust Weston, and as easy as it would make Weston's escape, he wouldn't abandon him. Certainly not to the monstrosity that was once the bandit known as Lazarus. They broke through a line of trees that surrounded the end of the path and stumbled into a small clearing. Patches of tall grass and large rocks or boulders jutted out of the ground haphazardly. It was brighter now that they had escaped from under the canopy of trees, and Weston wagered that dawn was well in progress. A rustle in the distance caused Weston to drop his hand to his pistol. He brought it to hip height, but nothing stood in front of him, and his trigger finger wavered. There was movement on the other side of the plain, and his arm tensed. From behind a rock, a horse trotted into sight, its head bobbing and shaking as it came, indulging in a meal of grass. He heard the rustling and snorting of others and left Dollarhide as he ran to look behind the rock. 
There were four horses, all saddled and ready, and a pack mule that had a look of neglect tied to the stake pounded into the ground. Weston grabbed the reins of the first horse and began to lead him toward the opening of the clearing. Dollarhide remained where he had left him, staring up at the sky with his mouth agape as one hand rubbed a stained white sleeve. Weston climbed into the saddle of the brown horse, leaned back, and patted its muscular hindquarters. Easy there, fella, he said, and urged the horse into a steady walk towards Dollarhide. A sound of thunder and snapping branches accompanied the dark object that exploded from Weston's left. His keen eyes barely registered what was happening as his horse reared in surprise, and black tendrils of tar were sinking deep into his throat blood and ooze dripping to the ground together. Weston made a grab for his pistol, but the spider-like appendages buried in the horse pushed it backwards, and he turned to prepare himself for the fall. Weston was able to maneuver his upper body so that it faced the ground, his lower half still tangled in the horse's stirrups. He managed to kick his left foot free before he landed and avoided the impact of the dying horse as it followed behind him. Landing was still rough. Weston felt a sharp pain in his left wrist, and the impact knocked the air out of his lungs. The horse landed on its back less than a foot from Weston before falling to its side. His breathing was slow and labored, and panic engulfed its large brown eyes. Weston rolled to his knees and had his revolver out. Lazarus was moving away from him toward Dollar Eye. It moved quicker now with, on its strange gait. Weston leveled his gun at the monster and squeezed the trigger three times. Each shot was echoed by a thud and a jolt from Lazarus that told Weston he had hit home. Black ooze fell to the ground around the creature with each reverberation. The roar followed. Weston could see Dollarhide in the distance. He had fallen to the ground. His eyes were wide and he began to moan. Dollarhide scrambled backwards up the path. Good, Weston thought. Get out of here. Then the creature turned on him. Five. Any remnants of the bandit Lazarus's countenance had retreated from the monster that stood before Weston. They had melted away into the thick ooze that made up the statue. The disjointed spider legs were steady and alternating, lifting the man-like body up and down. The face continued to change, subtle changes from three-mouthed creature to snarling wolf to a cold man with an empty smirk. Weston fell back, pain firing through his legs and back, and put the horse and space between him and the creature. The monster moved toward him, slow and methodical, savoring the impending doom of its prey. Weston pulled the trigger again. The creature's shoulders flinched, tire spattered, but it kept moving forward, a dry laugh wheezing on the wind. Weston shoveled back another two steps, braced himself on one knee, ignoring the pain, and took aim for the creature's head. He took a deep breath and squeezed the trigger slowly. The gun hauled back on his strong hands, and an instant later, the monster's head snapped back and it stopped on its tracks. It was hurt, but not dead. Weston cursed and checked his bullet count. One. He cursed again, closed the chamber, and took aim once more. The inhuman roar pierced his ears, and Weston had no other choice but to clap his hands to the side of his head, dead in the sound. Black ooze pours from the center of the creature's forehead, a shining black mask now matted over its revolving features. In each of those faces, Weston noticed there was no smile. Weston was prepared when it lunged at him, with the unnatural speed carried by its alien limbs. He tried to time it right and jumped clear of the charge, but the strange, jittering movement threw him off, and one of the creature's appendages struck him hard on the legs as it ran past him. He landed awkwardly, his legs pained, and he could feel something warm and wet soak his jeans covering his shins. Felt, but refused to look. He didn't need the distraction right now. The creature growled and turned towards him. Three mouths stared down on him for a moment, each with its own teeth bared. It brought one of its oil-slicked spider-like legs into its line of vision. A red liquid had joined the tire-like drop-off. It made a clucking sound of disapproval, and when it lowered its unnatural limb, all three of the mouths were grinning, Lazarus's lazy, mirthless grin. Weston propped himself up on his elbows and knees, slowly dragging himself to a wavering stance that shot courses of pain through him and made him queasy. 
He did his best to ignore the pain, but couldn't imagine his facial expression held anything but a look of anguish. He placed his gun in front of his jeans, just behind his plain silver belt buckle. He nodded at the creature, and mime drying his gun. A harsh laugh was his only answer. The sun had begun to rise, and the heat of the light fell on him. Weston had no plan. He doubted anything he could do would kill the beast, let alone slow it down. The best he could hope for was to distract it long enough to keep Dollarhide safe, if he was capable of escape. He knew where he was going to aim. It would be a difficult shot, but he imagined the pain would drive it back some if he managed it. The beast locked eyes on Weston, its face now more akin to a demonic hound than a person, bared its teeth in a lip-curled growl, and pounced. It darted at Weston, its awkward limbs still managing to carry it without hindrance. Weston gave it a moment, drew his gun, and took his best aim as he could while firing from the hip. The bullet hit home. Again, the creature's head snapped back and halted its forward motion. Black ooze dispersed from its right eye, and the creature's human hands went to its face immediately, as a growl followed by a high-pitched scream broke the air. Weston tossed the gun to the ground and prepared for the next charge. He would grapple if he needed, though he didn't have much hope for that course of action. Weston stood in the sun and allowed its warmth to absorb into his skin until he heard the shaky, unnatural movement of Lazarus back to life again. For a moment, Weston saw the face of Clancy's assassin, its features twisted with agony and fear before it twisted again into a nightmare formed of tentacles, glowing yellow eyes, and hatred. Moving just as quickly as it changed faces, the creature used its jittering limbs to bring it forward and stab at Weston's face with one of those same spider-like appendages. Weston ducked and threw himself to the left, flailing under his own damaged legs. A sharp pain exploded from his right shoulder, and then everything became a picture show. He saw himself suspended in midair, an oozing black tendril piercing his right shoulder, flailing as it protruded from his back. Twin tire stains spread across his back in front of his shirt from around the unnatural appendage. He saw the beast grin through its flickering faces and oozing eye, straighten itself again, and lift him screaming off the ground. The picture show ended. The film cut to black, and he felt his throat constrict and his voice lifted in agony. He writhed. The tire dispersed around his wound began to crawl towards his face, though all sense would dictate that it dropped to the ground. In his pain, Weston knew it was crawling to his face, and the recent image of Lazarus' own face dissolving under the black essence flashed in his mind. He tried to brush the tire off with both hands, only to find his right paralyzed by the hideous appendage that still penetrated his shoulder. The tire continued to make its slow way towards Weston's terrified face. The creature swung Weston from side to side, perpetrating the succession of pain he had been suffering all the more. In his anguish, flashes of images played in his head. He saw a giant stone temple surrounded by people with pale skin and white blonde hair who were bowing down in front of the black statue from Dollarhide's box. He saw the dire from the idol shoot out rapidly to catch one of the worshippers like a frog to an insect. The tire pierced the man's heart and he gasped. A hideous smile crossed his pained countenance. I am chosen. I am the avatar of Slagutis, the man said, dying a gruesome death. Pain, intense and burning, filled Wesson's mind and drew him from the vision. When he snapped back to his senses, it wasn't his own screaming he heard. The creature had unhinged its jaw again and released its inhuman howl. His changing faces each expressed its own agony. Weston looked at his impaled shoulder, where the appendage that held him in place seemed to be dissolving, melting like an icicle in spring, his tire-like substance no longer moving toward Weston's face, but dripping to the ground underneath his feet. The monster itself was doing just the same, dissipating, melting, and cringing. Despite his pain, Weston watched the creature as its faces changed rapidly, as if finding the right one would help it escape from whatever was happening to it. 
Even as Weston watched it, he could see the tire run off in rivulets, making its alternating faces become thinner and lined, their noses sagging, and their yellow eyes becoming pouched and watery. The beast was dying. Weston fell to the ground where a wet sensation greeted him as he struck, and something cold spread across his back. The sun's warmth eased his pain, but he covered his shoulder wound with his opposite hand. It came away drenched in black and red in equal measure. Weston struggled to his good elbow. The creature was still in front of him, but had fallen to its knees. Its spider legs had melted into puddles of blackness that surrounded the beast on all sides. It had one human hand in front of his face, black hair falling so rapidly that it spilled over the cupped hand and fell to the ground below it. Weston worked his way to his feet, fighting through the pain in his limbs. He cupped his wounded shoulder and left the creature to die. It moaned behind him, a whiny, unnatural noise that chilled Weston. He stumbled towards the path that had brought him to the plain, trailing gore behind him. Path spilled into the plain with a tangle of branches from the tall spruce trees. As Weston approached, he heard a soft murmur, a drone that reminded him of running water. Weston pushed back the branches and saw Dollarhide prostrate, lips moving rapidly, fingers twitching, and chest vibrating with quick, shallow breaths. Weston knelt next to the man, his eyes vacant and staring up to the sky. Nigel, are you all right? Light defeats dark. Morning uncloaks nightmare, the Englishman repeated through a croaking voice. Saliva still gathered at the corners of his mouth. Wait here, Nigel. Weston groaned and staggered to the horses he hoped remained on the opposite side of the plain. As he moved away, Dollarhide's strange message followed him. In the center of the field, amidst the jutting rocks and high grass, lay Lazarus's body surrounded by pools of black. Lazarus was himself once again. There was no black ooze covering him, and spider-like appendages were gone, and his face remained constant. His remains, though human once more, appeared to be partially digested. One side of his face was devoid of skin and muscle, with only a bleached, polished skull in its place. One hideous green eye remained in the socket, and it seemed to follow Weston as he passed. He kept his distance from the body, and he thought if he had a loaded gun, he would empty it into Lazarus just to be sure. One horse remained at the hiding place behind the large rock. Weston eased his way over to the horse, spoke to it softly, and climbed into the saddle through the pain that racked his body. He trotted it across the plain, keeping a fair distance from Lazarus, and approached the small path. Already aware that the ride to Denver would be painful and long. There was no whispering as he approached the place where he had left Dollarhide. Weston dismounted and expected to have to track the delusional scholar through the forest. Despite the pain, he was comforted that the daylight would aid his search. Pushing aside the branches once more, he found Dollarhide just where he left him. The man was motionless, though his eyes were wide, his mouth agape. Dead. Weston didn't need to approach any further to see it. The stress on his mind and body had won over its desire to live. Weston made his way back to the horse that was grazing unperturbed at the foot of the path. Weston took a last look over the plain as he mounted and started off, the wind making the tall grass spill over in waves under the light of the rising sun and a small black rock glinting there among the jutting rocks as he rode off to Denver. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Right Project Podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're interested in any of the books that we've featured here today, there are links in the description for you to purchase those books on Amazon. And when you use those links, Amazon kicks a tiny portion of it back to the channel, which is lovely. It helps everybody. It helps the author with the sale, helps the channel, and it helps you find new wonderful books. Either way, thank you so much for listening. It's really appreciated.
We'll be here every Monday at 4 p.m. on CHMR and CHMR.ca, as well as every Wednesday in 2023 at 2 p.m. with a special episode highlighting Breakwater Books and their 50 years of success in Newfoundland publishing. Be sure to check both out. Please tune in and we'll talk more about writing culture and writing culture in Newfoundland.